right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to May 4th. May the force be with you. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. This is the Just Basketball Show, Revenge of the Hooper. Okay, I got you the second Star Wars joke. There we go. Yeah, that's all good. Just try the Mandalorian just... last night. I'm ready to talk all basketball. All right, well, we'll talk about Mando after I've like watched the seven episodes I missed. As always, Jake, we have Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser doing wonderful production behind the scenes please subscribe or interview in your podcast platform of choice if you have not already and you know hit subscribe on youtube that notification bell if you haven't yet either in tiktok instagram all your social media platforms of choice jam-packed show today as always we're deep into the playoffs so we're going to talk about 76 or celtics game two the the return of joel Embiid after he won the MVP. lakers warriors game one and we're going to talk about the Suns, who are down two games to none against the Denver Nuggets, and we'll see if they can get out of it. And uh, we have a, an interview at the back end of the show. Brendan talked to all-defensive guard candidate, Chicago Bulls guard, former Laker, Alex Caruso. Uh, Brendan, what do, you, what do you tease people about all the defense, interview before we do? All-defense lock. I mean, come lock. on. Like, uh, he's, yeah. he's in there. Um, I didn't have a vote, but I'm, I'm willing it into existence yeah, we have Alex Caruso. He's going to talk about Jimmy Butler. He's going to talk about the Bulls being actually a good defensive team, despite how they get talked about, how he's grown as a player, and what he thinks of the fact that people just score 40 every night in the NBA these days. Yeah, check out that interview. It's great. Shout out to to Brendan and shout outs to Alex Caruso, who, you know, the first ever guest on the Just Basketball pod as far as NBA players goes. More more to come is, is the plan here. What an honor. What an honor. I mean on his hall of fame plaque one day, if he gets there, you know, it's all defensive team, maybe won a cha- you know, championship with the Lakers, just basketball. And and yeah. this. All right. We're going to start, it. Brennan. We're going to start with, with something that I just find funny that I think should, should make an HBO show just as a spoof of it. And that's owner beef. So Dade Gilbert, the owner of the Cavs and Matt Ishbia, the, the, the new owner of the Suns, you know, have a longstanding business rivalry. Ishbia goes on Bill Simmons pod and says this, so, quote, so listen, I can talk for hours on it and I can talk for a minute. The minute's probably easier. He doesn't like me and I don't like him. That's how it is. Basically then proceeds to uh, say he doesn't like how Dan does business and all these other things. Um, that This was after Simmons asked him about how Dan Gilbert did not basically just opted out of voting for Ishbia. It was 29 to 0 with Gilbert abstaining. He said he knew that's how it was going to go down. Brennan, I love that. I look. This is doesn't matter that much, like in the grand scheme of how this league works. I just love that we got a little, we got a little owner rivalry. This is fun. I I hope like you know Dan Gilbert's health kind of prevents him from being a public figure now in the way Ishby is. So like you know we're not gonna get like Dan Gilbert popping into the hoop collective or anything anything like that in the near future. <laughs> but like I, I I like that we got a little bit of owner rivalry. It's kind of it adds a little bit of fun to me. I, I like this. It was a wonderful. Um distraction from the Suns being down 2-0 and look like uh I it, it is awkward because the one of the people involved in this is in poor health and you know it's it's not it's not always nice to do that Matt Ishbia did remember like 30 40 seconds into this whole uh dial monologue he was like I wish him the best like you know all <laughs> yeah I, I, hope, yeah, he, I hope he's he, doing all right physically but like yeah. uh, I hate him basically yeah still sucks yeah 
Um, yeah, this, hope he recovers and is is doing all right, but uh, also f him. But you rock, no, I think it, um, yeah. I think that I was saying this before we hit record. This is the the closest to like real beef in public that anyone in the NBA actually has. Like outside of I guess Kyle Kuzma and Spencer Dinwiddie, this is like uh, number two in that <laughs> list because they actually are putting or Matt Ishby at least is putting words behind it. Most of these. NBA guys just like to push each other around and get called for like a flagrant one and then never bring it up again. This is real. Yeah. Uh, the other, the, Brendan, the other thing in the Suns world that I want to hit on aside from the games is that the Suns are going ahead with this plan to take their games off of Bally. Uh, that contract was up and they're going to put them at, and free for people to watch with a to be announced platform. Correct. And now there's a suit where Diamond Sports is suing the Suns and the Mercury to block efforts to form this new media outlet. Look, I this whole regional sports network stuff is very broken. I, I think like the, you know, there's there's very extreme examples of this all across the country. It's not really f- like optimal for the consumer to watch games and like have the most amount of people watch these games at this point. I loved the idea of what the Suns were gonna do and like how Ishbia talked about it on with Simmons to me made like really resonated as like a something that like should and maybe could be adopted by other teams but yeah. this the, I, the, how is this how is this played locally how is this kind of played in, in in the phoenix area i mean great and i think that the the lawsuit part of it and like the business side i you know neither you or i are experts on but I, i'll just say i feel like if they really thought that they would be countersued to a point where they would not be able to go forth with this plan they probably would never have gone forth with this plan right so i think it'll happen maybe they just have to pay to because it's really like a breach of contract situation is, is what's going on here. They're jumping off early, knowing that their contract is about to be over and there might be, you know, some breaches of payment from Diamond because they're bankrupt and all that stuff. So I think the Suns were like, we'll eat whatever we have to eat. We just want to get out ahead of this. They also have the Mercury season to worry about and the Mercury were part of this this agreement to broadcast these games. So that is coming up here in like two weeks. So I, I don't know if they had the luxury of waiting. I think in the spirit of this show, the spirit of the things we care about, the number one important part here is it's going to grow the game. This is going to get TV up from less than 1 million potential viewers in the Phoenix market to almost three. And that's huge. That's putting the sport in front of people in a way that it can grow and find new audiences, find people who don't happen to just live right around the city or able to afford cable. But everybody who basically has a TV and a satellite can watch these games now. And that's kind of the way it should be, in my opinion. I mean, I know we're not naive to capitalism and all the stuff about making money as a sports team, but if you can find a way to make money and show all your games to as many people as you want, then win, win, win. And that seems like what's about to happen here in Phoenix. And I hope people do kind of follow suit. It feels like, honestly, the other part of this, Chris, is the NBA. If you read some of the reports at the league level and the broadcast deal that they're going to negotiate, I think a lot of media insiders tend to feel like the league is going to be going back toward broadcast in a bigger way and away from cable. And that's awesome too. Uh, again, more people watching the sport that you and I care about. So great. Or people to watch Alex Caruso's interview next time he's uh, he's on going to the Hall of Fame. That's right. I do hope this is like honestly like a sign of things to come for accessibility of sports. I hope this is the case for like every sport possible. And I hope the costs are, are I, one of the, I think what, what I love about this more than anything else is that this this isn't asking people to like absorb a bunch of extra cost. This isn't charging a like yes, there's gonna be some money lost in that end, and I and I think that's notable. But I think the fact that they are not gonna make this something with a really high price point 
I think is is the biggest one of it. You are not making this an upper class, upper middle class kind of thing. Like you're making this actually. And you're not accessible. just telling people to like, hey, just buy League Pass, whatever, one hundred and fifty dollars a year, no no problem. It'll all just be there now. It's like, well, one hundred and fifty dollars a year is like the same as some cable packet. You know what I mean? Like you're not exactly saving yeah. money there. So this is this is genuinely cost cutting, and that's really cool. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, love. Love that as, as a model, and I hope other owners, this sets like a, a standard going forward. Um, and if not, we can do what Tottenham fans have done, which is yell and say, I want a refund for this crap thing I'm watching. And you know what? If your team's bad and you want to try to yell at them to get your money back for a overpriced, like, Bally thing, then you should do it. But let's go to the 76ers and the Celtics. Game two was not particularly competitive. Um, Embiid is back. The series is now 1 1. Embiid. Wins the MVP, comes back, doesn't play game one, do that injury. I, I think let's start there. How do you feel like Embiid looked in his in his return? It felt like he had a plan to primarily impact the game as a passer and a defensive like rim protector. And I just don't think that was enough. We know Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler are close. I feel like Embiid should have done like Jimmy and and just sat game two because it's already a road game. They already had one in hand. There's no need to rush it. And it honestly, all things considered, kind of felt like he hurt the team more than he helped them, especially when you realize how great Harden was. And I think there is a certain aspect of when Harden is at his best, there sometimes he doesn't really need a screen. He doesn't really need to get other guys involved. That's how he was cooking in game one. And part of me wonders, well, what if Embiid wasn't there to even stand, you know, near him and allow more help to come? And Harden could have just kept doing what he did in game one. I don't know if he could have, because that was an all-time performance, but this didn't feel like it really helped them in any way. And it might've hurt him. Yeah, I, I don't know why Embiid played, to be honest with you. I... I don't totally understand like what the thought process was. I understand you say, okay, we can get game two. We go up 2-0. We've won both games in Boston. You know, we've played them much better at home this year. You know, and beat splits home to road have been crazy, right? Let's put, let's just try to put our foot down. I get that impulse. And maybe Embiid was like, I'm playing, can't stop me. He just didn't look right. Yes, he, you know, he had five blocks. He altered some shots. Like his presence alone gives that, but. He was not looking to take layups at times in this game. He missed like a bunny at this game. Like the 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 energy level from Embiid was not really as the assertive, aggressive Embiid we've seen. His he finishes just having kind of a an egg game and took under ten shots and like I I don't think the juice was worth the squeeze here. No, I I don't think so. And I guess you know same reason as we're saying he could have just sat and it wouldn't have mattered. Then I guess the loss doesn't really hurt them too badly either. But again, part of me just wonders how and if Harden could have kept the magic going if he wasn't worried about, all right, I'm trying to run the two-man game and got to feed the post and all that stuff. Obviously, to win a championship, which is their goal, they're going to have to play together. But considering the injury, considering the way that Harden played, just pull up threes, drive into the basket, get into the free throw line in game one, why not just let that continue to roll. I think they would have had a better chance winning if they did that than what they did tonight. Um, can we talk about that Harden game? Yeah. Well, I just want to say he did in the and he game two for him was like the opposite of game one. Game one. Yeah. Was the singular best James Harden playoff performance. I think I've seen. I mean, 
He looked like yeah. Houston James Harden in terms of how he got into the paint, how he was beating his man without screens. Like I, I Brendan, I felt like his burst, I felt like his ability to get into the paint was as good as we've seen it since he hurt his hamstring in Brooklyn. That to me was as good as we've seen Harden look since that injury. He was assertive. He got to the free throw line. He was playing really physical. He was like I. There's there's sometimes in those late game situations. I don't always know. Like you can kind of tell. Okay, I don't know if this guy's gonna make the shot. I don't like its chances of going in. I was just like, I think he's going to drill this three over Horford. I was just like, I understand exactly what he's doing. He was so dialed in that it just felt like that was going to be a big hardened moment. And for him to step up like that, you know, it doesn't like wash away like every stinker he's had in the playoffs. It doesn't change like how we think about Harden as a playoff guy. I think fully, I think really only a title can maybe kind of shape away some of those broad assumptions and thoughts about him. But this was like, okay, Embiid's out. You need me to step up. You need me to be the man. Bet I'm going to do it. And he absolutely delivered for Philly when they needed him. Are you a James Harden guy? Do you like him? Do you like watching him? No, I do not. Harden's Harden's style of basketball is not like my, my taste. My taste is I like a little more kinetic. I like a little more movement. I like, I, I also don't love heliocentric stuff. I don't love... Like, I, this is my issue with Luka in the same way. Like, I understand how singularly yeah. great they are. I understand, like, the logic of the way these teams are playing. What I don't particularly... I don't think it's, like, fun to watch basketball when one guy dribbles a bunch and everyone else is standing there and, like, looking to, like, maybe get a catch-and-shoot three. Like, I don't think that is interesting to watch. It's not what attracts me to basketball, even if I understand why Harden plays it. The funny thing is, it's like, I loved Harden. I was I thought I really liked Harden in Oklahoma City. Houston Harden is where, like, I kind of kind of lost me. Sure. So I, I, it's not really my type of basketball either. I mean, we've had Luca conversations on the podcast a few times now, and, yes. and I think we both are pretty worn out by his act. Um, but for some reason, I just love, I loved James Harden, the Houston Rockets Harden years. I, I just loved watching those teams. I, I know that sounds insane. I, that's like, I'm in the very small minority, but um, I just feel like, I was so in awe of what he was able to do, you know, just doing the same thing over and over and the defense not being able to stop it. There's something pretty awesome about that. And I know in the postseason, the defense was able to stop it uh, fairly consistently. I think he has had plenty of great playoff games. I think that kind of gets lost. It's just toward the end of playoff series, especially as the rounds get later is when where he's fallen off and and that's obviously a dent in a legacy of a player who was an MVP candidate there's only so high you're going to be rewarded but um I just yeah I, I think the way he was able to to completely kill a defense and and make the game be played on his own terms um you know there's something really to be said for you're in the middle of a playoff series against a dynasty and the game is happening on your terms, even against Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, whoever it was. So anyway, I think he's a really special player, but I think you're right that I didn't think we would ever see this again. He got, he, he, he blew past Jalen Brown at least once in this game. He scored on a post up against Marcus smart in game one. Um, Crazy. But I guess my question is, so he was 16 of 38 on pull-up threes in the playoffs so far heading into tonight. That's really, really good. It's something he's had to rely on because, again, we even in the Nets series last round, we thought he was going to be really hampered by the leg. Do you think he can do that again is, is where I go. Can he, can he pull something like that off? It won't be 40-plus points because Embiid's probably going to play the rest of this series, but can he 
have a 35 and 10? Can he have a 30 and 15 type of game a couple more times? Because I think he'll need to for them to to really pull off this upset. I, I think he can. I, I don't know if he's going to do it game to game, but that performance will give me optimism that you can get a higher level of Harden going forward. And look, I, I think if they want to not even just win the series, but like, you know, when compete for a title, like they need Harden to be something like that, right? Like they need Harden mm-hmm. to have this in him at times. Like there will be, there will be games where Embiid struggles a little bit, or especially if this injury with Embiid lingers. And this is like, you know, it said like a four to six week injury maybe. And like, we don't really exactly know how hurt he is, even though he did play. <laughs> like Harden's going to have to have that in him. I think, I, I don't think it's going to be like an every game thing. And that's, it's similar to how I feel yeah. maybe about like AD and LeBron. It's like, I think those guys are going to have these moments where they're the best players in their series and the, be- and the best player in a game in a particular moment. But can they do it every single night and play heavy minutes? Like that's the question. I mean, Harden, as we said, like didn't look good in game two, 32 minutes, 12, two or 14 from the field, Oh, five from three, you know, like, this wasn't like a particularly good Harden game. He only, you know, he took ten free. He took ten free throws, which is good, but like his shot was not there. And like maybe that is that lift was that effort. Like what is that? I don't exactly know. But it was not. It was like the complete opposite of game one. And, and there may be something that's like, okay, I put all my energy into game one. Yeah. You know, like does that? What does that leave me with? Do I need to to wait to get back home and and feel a different way? You know how crazy it is that the Celtics can win a game by 34 and Jason Tatum can be god-awful? That's a nice luxury. (laughs) I mean, I know it's like exactly what's special about their team, but tonight was just a reminder. It's like they can blow the doors off somebody, even with the injuries, even with Harden missing like we just talked about. Like, There's a lot of teams that their best player goes one of seven with four fouls in 19 minutes, and they're like scraping you know, 95 points. Celtics had no issues. So, Brennan, where are you at in the series right now? I, it's 1-1. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at where the odds are, and I don't know if they necessarily would have had an odd shift on the series that quickly after game two to kind of see where things stand. I, You know, it, it feels like Philly got the game when they really needed, and that would give me optimism for them pulling this off now that Boston has to go and take home court. Again, Embiid's, Embiid has been incredible against Boston at home this year, like over 40 points a game. I think, like, Philly has played pretty done some things well I think they're they're kind of showing up there's some matchup stuff that I like particularly you know Derek White kind of having a lot of success guarding Tobias Harris I find fascinating as if Philly needs to kind of gum up other offense and and make things work I think the series feels like it's going to be really close and have these very fine margins if everyone's healthy Um, I'm waiting for Tatum to kind of like arrive fully because he was pretty bad seven shots he's good in game one but good in game yeah. one, but that was the, but then in game one, you had Jason Jalen Brown took like 10 shots and I didn't understand where he went for like that stretches that game. That, that was weird. Like there's, so yeah. there's weirdness like all around. I don't have like a good gauge on like where this is going other than I feel like it's probably going to last a while as long as Embiid plays the rest of the way. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, I think Tobias Harris has been better in these playoffs overall than I expected. I feel like yep. Paul Reed has played pretty well and uh, Tyrese Maxey is, He's so crazy. Like he, I, I took this note down as I was watching. He's six two, but he plays like he's six seven. Yes. I know that this isn't even like a big deal, but the way that on some of these fast break dunks, like he obviously had the one at the end of game one, he dunks like it's nothing, and you would not expect that from a dude that that's as small as he is. So like he, him stepping up and being a real part, and obviously you know coming into the playoffs, we didn't even know if he would necessarily start and he's put that to bed completely so i think it'll be i think it'll be a long series 
Um, I think that honestly, like looking at these thing, these two teams and this situation and their inconsistencies, both sides of this, of this matchup, it's just like even more of a, of a bummer that this, that the Bucks blew their chance. I mean, this is exactly why we thought Milwaukee was the best bet in the, in the East for most of this season, because they felt like much more of a sure thing. And obviously that fell apart. So I, I mean, it still feels like whichever team wins this series is going to win the East, but I don't love betting on night to night consistency from Boston or Philly, despite them both being awesome in the regular season. Yeah. The, the sub in from Milwaukee here is that if Denver kind of continues on their path, they might be in a really, really good spot to just like have the easiest path through all of this. Like if, if depending on how things go against Phoenix, we'll talk about that, but like they're, they're maybe in the position. It's like, could, could, could the team they get out of the East, like is the team who wins the East, just like beat to a pulp by the yeah, time they get there. Be. You know, it's, it's very possible that like whoever comes out of the West could have that advantage that like, like if Miami beats the Knicks, like you can't like Miami is going to be really annoying for whoever they have to play. Like we've seen them play these teams tough. Like it's just, that's what's going to happen. Like I have no doubt in my mind that we'll end up there somehow. Um, Brendan, let's before we wrap up the series. I'm gonna uh, here. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna name a player. You're gonna name a player for both team X factors for Game Three for me for for Philly. I'm gonna just be lazy and I'm gonna pick Embiid because like Embiid's gotta kind of dominate. And if I'm gonna go the other way for Boston um, on the other side, I'm gonna look at Grant Williams. Um, had four of eight from three in this game. Kind of in and out of the rotation at times. So let's kind of can you give them kind of consistent big guard, big wing minutes? Excuse me going forward who you're give me a x factor for both teams philly i'm gonna keep it with tobias harris i feel like he needs to continue to score he needs to continue to attack closeouts get to that mid-range jumper make spot up threes and then at least do something against tatum and or brown when he's out there defensively which i think you could say he's been fine he played mikhail bridges decently well in the first round so if he can keep that up that'll give them a nice uh floor higher floor and then uh boston yeah i like the grant williams pick i think that he he was guarding Embiid a lot tonight. They were kind of doing the guard their big man, the opposing big man with a big forward and then allow their actual centers to to be helpers. And it, it worked because Embiid wasn't really looking to score. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that. I think I'm always kind of watching how good Robert Williams is just because I think that they're going to need him. Horford has not been very great in these playoffs, frankly. So I think there's going to come a time when it needs to be Robert Williams in this series. They want to have an answer for Embiid, but you know, down the line, I think uh time Lord's going to be important. So he'd be my other. Yeah, I, I would agree. All right, let's move on. Lakers warriors game one, Brendan, you know, what's was pretty good. That basketball game. That was great. Here's where I start. Anthony Davis can, and was the best player on the floor in this game was as good as he's been. He, in the in these playoffs, Brendan, I think Anthony Davis has been one of the def- like he just has been one of the defining players. We should have put him on our list. He has had stretches of dominance that I don't know if he's ever hit before. I don't know if he's going to keep it up as far as this whole series goes. Playing forty four minutes, I'm real curious what he looks like in game two. The extra time off for them probably helps, but. AD man to me was the story of this game more than the shot from pool eight more than anything else. I, I think this game was about how darn good AD was. Happy to start with Anthony Davis. I feel like this shouldn't come as a surprise. 
He wait, no, he, has he, been. Wait, wait. A is he underrated? Every time he's ever been in the postseason, is, is is he underrated at this point? Like, I hate like the underrated, overrated discourse, but I'm going to go there. Like, we're a, like a hot, you know, sports well, talk radio. I'll cut. take I'll take it a step further, and I'll use an even more hot takey word, which is I think he's disrespected. Oh, I don't love think anyone. It. I don't think, but it, I mean it like very literally, not like what people say when they're trying to defend their favorite player because they want to, you know, start an argument with their buddy. It's like genuinely, I think that. People know he's talented, but they've gone so far out of their way to make the A Disney jokes and the, you know, he's always, uh, what, do, what do Shaq and, and Chuck call him about his injury? Street clothes, right? Like that, all that stuff is intentionally done to, to minimize him. But anytime he's ever stepped foot on a playoff basketball court, he's pretty much dominated. Uh, first season in the in New Orleans when they made it 32 points per game on 54% shooting. Then a few years later, they win a series. Remember they swept the blazers and then they lost in, in the second round to, I believe the warriors, Uh they 30 points, 13 rebounds, 52% shooting. Obviously the bubble run, he starts making all of his jumpers and, and goes crazy there. 2021 is his only real down year, but that's because he had some injuries and that deflated his totals. But in the first three games of that series, he was a monster Had back-to-back 34 point games and was about to lead them to a series victory before the injury. And then this year so far, 22 points per game, 50% shooting 15 rebounds per game and more than four blocks per game in seven in seven games so far. Like I just think when he's been healthy, when he's gotten to this point, there hasn't been a question. I agree. I, I I cannot think of stretches for him that have been this good, really. Like, I, I there's times where he's, you know, won the title. He was great in the bubble. You mentioned the, Pel- like I, the Pelican series to me where he, like, ruined the Blazers. That was, like, my real, like, okay, this guy is, like, worth all of the hype, right? Like, yeah. that, that and Drew Holiday was- both. It was kind of like, huh. Mm-hmm. This yeah, the, team with a weird nickname might have something <laughs> like I, real. I, yeah, I remember like a photo of like Drew Holiday, like Dame, like walking past Dame, like flexing and screaming that is like seared in my brain. And if it's not real, like I, I hope it, I it, that's a problem for me. But yeah, that game four in in the Blazers series, he had 47 points in the closeout game, got to the line 17 times like he's just a killer. Um, and in this series I, or in this game, sorry, I feel like the cool part about what he did to me was he took advantage of the... Looney basically played him the same way that he played Sabonis, right? Mm -hmm. And he took advantage of the space Looney was giving him in a way that DeMontis Sabonis just absolutely couldn't. Taking the jumpers when they're there, finding cutters, keeping him honest by actually passing. Uh, Sabonis does that too, but it was putting it all together and matching matching Looney's intensity on the glass. Like... He had no weak point in this game. I, I think he was good enough in this game to where I wonder how the Warriors adjust going forward, right? Like, I, I wonder how he's going to do going forward as far as... As they go forward, it's like, okay, can do they have to avoid playing, paying, playing Looney and Draymond together, right? Like, do they have to avoid, you know, some of these issues with, like, playing those two guys together as once just because, like, they need to put shooting on the floor? Like, do they need to put Anthony Lamb, your guy, on the floor as a way to, like, really stretch things out? Like, I like the, he's that dominant, and he's, like, yeah. for the Warriors, this he he is the reason that there is a switch in, in what this series look like. This series switches because he is a different kind of center than Demonis Sabonis and has this two-way dominance and it does all this different stuff. Again, I don't know if he's going to do it game to game. 
like 44 minutes for him and trying to go for that. I wonder if the, the, the gas is dialed back a little bit for game two, considering they, they can get back home and, and be yeah. tied and in a good spot. I think so. A few things on that. We talked about before the series, who makes the first adjustment adjustment away from big ball, right? Like I, I, my big question about the series is who can score better when their big lineup is on the court. Mm-hmm. And in this game, it was absolute. I mean, it all of the uh, tallies went in the Warriors or in the Lakers' favor in this one. But I feel like Davis did that in both ways. One, he he's basically spacing proof when he plays like this. I mean, that's why, like, that's part of why great players don't need elite spacing. Now, LeBron and Luka and some of these guys that play that way have kind of tricked us against that. But Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, these guys who can just create a great shot for themselves in space in isolation, they don't need like four shooters dotting the court, the court and pristine spacing because it doesn't really matter how many hands are in their face. And so that actually, to me, not only made him so special and punished Looney, but it also helped Jared Vanderbilt stay on the court, you know? And he was such a story of the game guarding Steph Curry Part of why he's able to do that, I mean, yes, he's still crashing the boards, he's still cutting, all these different ways that a non-shooter tries to impact the game, and he honestly makes his threes when they're wide open a lot of the time in the corner anyway, but you know Vanderbilt can get played off the court. I think Davis was a big reason why he wasn't able to, because you put the ball in Davis's hands, if he's making that mid-range jumper, finding cutters, all that stuff, it doesn't really matter what the rest of the guys are from a personnel standpoint, because he's unstoppable no matter who he's playing with, so... It's just another way that Davis's performance really helped them. But I don't know if it's Anthony Lamb on the Warriors' side. I feel like they just need to stick with DiVincenzo. That's been kind of the confusing thing to me is he hit 40% of his threes in the regular season. They've been a big negative with him on the court in the playoffs, and so I get that. But like, if you're asking who do you trust, I feel like it has to be DiVincenzo over Moody, Lamb, Kaminga, any of those guys. It's like just play the vet who played well in the regular season and like don't think about it too hard. Yeah, look, maybe it's because he didn't hit his threes in game in the series against the Kings, and and there's just a lack of trust there. You know, I, I wonder if you're just kind of riding some of the small sample size stuff of the playoffs, Brennan. Elsewhere in this game, I came away just very impressed with the two wayness of the Warriors down the stretch. They really gummed up the Lakers' offense, where where the Lakers tried to go with D'Lo to like alleviate the offensive pressure that took out Vanderbilt, and like it just didn't really work. Like, the Warriors, like, were really in that game. That would give me some optimism for them going forward. Like, I and I and I wonder if they just, you know, they get an extra day. They're out of, they, they're not just immediately, you know, less than 48 hours turned around from a uh, from a game seven. I wonder if they look a little more pep in their step for, for game two. I Like, there's there's part of that. I wonder if that was, that game was somewhat just a little bit of, of circumstances as these things tend to be. But, like, I, I didn't come away from that game being like, okay, like, the Lakers, like, like I might favor the Lakers slightly now, just because they got game they one got a road and game. Yeah. they got a road game, and like the game. way the the AD stuff, like even if he's not at that level game to game, isn't going to go away. But I would, f- I, I still just feel like the Warriors like ha- will have some answers for a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I think the the exhaustion or the you know whatever it is that affects you when you're tired, if it's mental, if it's physical, if it's shot making, if it's just conditioning, whatever. I think. Curry's the number one guy I think think of you know even late in the game like you mentioned on the offensive end he was the guy that was still getting great stuff for them but 
I, I think they'll be ready for how much the Lakers were playing off of the Warriors shooters, which was a big storyline coming out of this game. And I think they'll have adjustments to run some more stuff to, to, to spring guys open organically rather than just, you know, hoping for catch and shoot stuff. And then I think Curry will be better. Um, yeah. And I'm also just not, like I said, with the big ball versus small ball, I'm not really ready to feel like the Lakers have this whole thing figured out until we actually see a game where the Warriors lean more on small ball, which I think they will in game two. I think that they'll sort of say, if Anthony Davis wins a game by dominating the glass, then like kudos to you hat tip. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll go to LA and see what can happen here. But that feels like a lot better than Anthony Davis beating you with jumpers, which we know he can make and get into the line and all the other stuff. So it's like play Draymond play DiVincenzo or whoever it ends up being as the fifth guy in a small ball lineup and just roll with it. I mean, maybe it's pool. He played pretty well. Um, and just best like, game, best game in the playoffs and then pool. I'll panic. Yeah. Cool was good. The, the other thing that I would I will wonder is I want to see how the Warriors use Curry. I, I think it might they might need to go back to that pick and roll well that we saw them turn too late in that King series. I understand you're attacking AD and he's great in that, but I, I thought Jared Vanderbilt did a really good job of of chasing around Curry and trying to lock him up. I thought Schroeder did a good job. I thought the Warriors as a team were very in tuned to what Curry was up to. Curry had to, got 27, but it was on 24 shots. I wonder if just a more conventional attack or maybe you know maybe clay gets hot and has a game where he gets loose or something i want they need a way to loosen things up for curry a little bit if they're not going to have these issues with spacing maybe the personnel changes kind of do that on themselves but i wonder if some different ways of using curry and attacking the lakers defense in a different way particularly when vanderbilt's on the floor i wonder if there's little ways they can kind of alter that get curry a little bit looser get him into a rhythm and get his numbers kind of to a more efficient uh, efficient place which will push their offense to a better place Mm-hmm. Yep. I think too, I mean, if you run that pick and roll and then you kind of immediately go into something off of that, you would imagine that the Lakers switch that, right? So then they put Anthony Davis on Curry, they put Vanderbilt on Draymond. Um, well, if you run right, if you run that right into a dribble handoff with Curry or something, then all of a sudden Anthony Davis is the guy trying to navigate screens off the ball, right? So that some of that relocation stuff is part of why it's not just what happens in that pick and roll, but it's also then what happens off of that, especially yep. if you do it early in the clock. So that feels like a, an easy adjustment. I also just don't, I know this is not huge, but we got to move on to the other series, but I was just frustrated watching this game. Why that, why do they not use Gary Payton as like an anything player on offense anymore? Like I remember I have yeah. a lot of memories last year of him rolling to the basket, uh, short roll passes, dunks. I mean, he got hurt on a dunk, right? So like, I, it's just bizarre that when he's out there they're just like all right go stand in the dunker spot and like shut up and go guard somebody like, I, I know i know they value him but it's like what what are you guys doing like this guy's the same dude you had last year felt like you knew how to use him now maybe it's the abdominal thing i don't know but weird that they treat him as such a negative when they seem to have figured some cool stuff out with him last year well it's like the beauty of him in golden state was that he kind of figured out how to play in that system which is hard to do and like he yep. really co he made he made the most of himself as a non-shooting guard in that system. And it's like, that's kind of gone. And that that would be a counter to some of the stuff we're talking about. I think that's a great shout. All right, let's move on, Brendan. Can't believe you want to move on to this, all things considered. Let's move on to, to Suns Nuggets. the show, to be honest. Well, sorry, buddy. I had to talk about the Cavs. You got to talk about the Suns. Um, Chris Paul's injury. At least you picked the Suns. I, I picked against the Cavs the whole way, and I was just being a jerk. Yeah, at least you've been supportive. You know, we have a thing coming up later. We're going to revisit our picks to make the final four in the East. And you were actually, I'm going to give you some credit as I, 
look, I I think you're I think you've just been killing it the whole time. Where I'm just you know like a little a little less sharp. Um, you were very on the Knicks like in that episode. Like even like you you had you said some things about the Nets that are in retrospect like don't look great. But we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll we'll get to it. But okay, so the Suns are in the two O hole. Chris Paul's hurt. Okay, I I didn't love the campaign minutes in game two. Didn't love a lot of the the Sun stuff in game two. But here, Brendan, here's if I'm going to be the positive one of us about this for a second. What I did like is I felt the adjustments Phoenix made for game two made a lot of sense. They just maybe didn't hit enough shots. Mm-hmm. Fair yeah. or not fair? Absolutely fair. I th- I mean I think I texted you early in the game. They've made every adjustment they needed to from game one. Um and yeah, it was a weird it was a weird game, you know. I think I think even on the Denver side, like it wasn't a like we just saw. Uh, speaking of 87 point totals, the Sixers getting outscored by 34 in a game where they scored 87, right? Like this was still just a 10 point loss. And so both sides were missing shots. It was a, a weird Jamal Murray was kept in check. The Suns bench did nothing. A lot of the secondary scoring that the Nuggets got from Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon in game one went away. And it just evolved into basically who can be better between effectively Booker and Jokic, but we'll say Booker and Durant versus Jokic. And then eventually by the end of the game, who is still uh, has enough energy to actually keep that battle going. And I think that's a big part of what happened too is Booker and Durant. And, but again, especially Booker, were just getting so little help that they were front like Booker front rimmed like two or three shots in the fourth quarter. And it just very much became obvious that he didn't have enough juice left. So think you just i mean honestly my takeaway from this game is you've got to give the biggest possible hat tip to Nikola Jokic that that man just basically won a playoff game by his, himself offensively so where are you at with the Suns in the series it, it they have to win game three or this is this is a wrap they're already facing very long odds I think to kind of figure this out I don't really know what else you can adjust going into game three like the, there's mm-hmm. There, there's not. Well, I don't know. Like the Chris Paul injury also just doesn't matter. Like I understand he wasn't perfect. I understand he's older. I would rather have Chris Paul playing minutes for me in the playoffs than campaign. Oh, of course it's. It, of course it matters. It's huge. I mean, he campaign was really, really bad in game two. Um, on both ends of the floor, he really made not much of a positive impact to speak of. Like he led. He he failed to get out on on. Caldwell Pope a few times. Caldwell Pope was four or four from deep. He turned the ball over. He f- was fouling like crazy. Like, I-, I think they shouldn't start him in game three, to be honest with you. I think that they should basically treat Devin Booker as their point guard and put another wing shooter out there, whether that's Torrey Craig, whether that's Damian Lee, whether that's Landry Shamit, I don't know. But just do it that way would be my vote. I don't know uh, if Monty Williams will take my vote into account. But the... The the one silver lining, or not silver lining, but sort of counterpoint to, to what we're talking about with the Chris Paul injury being a problem and even some of their offensive inconsistency throughout the, the two games is I think that there's a chance, because we talked a lot the last time we recorded and I went on my big rant about how they sort of have two offensive offenses right now. One of them is the, the offense that gets the shooters going, that gets DeAndre Ayton good looks, that sort of punishes the nuggets at all three levels and then there's the durant and booker offense which is a little more iso heavy a little bit more you know a little less passing going on a little bit less setting other guys up but very efficient also to me 
take Chris Paul out of the equation and you take one of those sort of offensive approaches out of the equation. Now, I think Booker still has to put his Chris Paul hat on as much as Mm -hmm. he can. And you can't just not include other players on offense. Again, we talked about how tired they just got in that that game too. But um, that might be be possible here. Uh, is is that it kind of simplifies things and there's less of a question of minute to minute what their best approach is going to be. When there's only two creators versus three, it makes it one step simpler for you. Um, but no matter what, Kevin Durant needs to be better. I think that's that's obvious. He had seven turnovers in game one. He was really bad in the fourth quarter in game two. Keeps getting his shot blocked by guards. He just has to be more dominant. Otherwise, it's it, whether Chris Paul comes back on Friday and he never misses any time or he misses the rest of the series. If Kevin Durant's not great, then put it put it away. The, the series is over. Yeah, 2-12 from three in game two. I like the shots that he took. He just didn't make them. And you, Kevin, the, a guy of Kevin Durant's ilk, you don't expect that to maybe happen again. But it has to, it can't happen at all if they, they have a chance of of kind of pulling this out and coming back and like beating Denver. Uh, I like, got to talk about Jokic real quick here. Yeah. Oh, that's where I was going. That's, that's where I was going next. It's just okay. like this for the sun. So some for the sun, some of this is just like, I feel like if you make some shots and you, you get a little bit luckier, maybe things go your way, but yeah. this also could just be like, Hey, this is the warm up playoff run. And that's weird. Um, Brandon, Nicole Jokic had a, the kind of game that for him, I think is I I I don't I didn't go and like check out a bunch of post game stuff from him, but it, the stat line for him to me is like I think really just kind of eye popping because you you hit on this, he won the game single handedly offensively himself. Jamal Murray was three of fifteen in this game from the field, oh and nine from three. Okay, KCP has fourteen, just made a bunch of threes, good for him. Aaron Gordon had a had a nice game. Michael Porter Jr. didn't give you really much of anything, five points, two of seven shooting. Your bench gave you like very little aside from some Bruce Brown free throws. Jokic as a scorer was like assertive in the first quarter, finishes with 39 on 30 shots, only took four free throws, had a bunch of boards, only had the five assists. Like what? This wasn't like a Jokic game where he racks up a triple double and it's the passing. It's like, okay, we kind of need to get some buckets and bruise and and muck it up inside. I can do that. And it was like willing to do that. And there are times during in his career in the regular season where he does not always like seem to enjoy doing that. But he does it in this game. His team is up 2-0. They look incredibly great on the heels of, of what he's doing. He is the most consistent and intimidating and can and just throw anything at your presence, I think, on offense in the NBA right now. This game, this game to me was just like his play. Like, if you want, if this is the closest thing we may ever get to like a Jokic like scoring bonanza in a playoff game. That's awesome. We talked about the Suns making all the adjustments that you would have wanted them to make. And part of that was after what Murray did in game one, playing him more physically in game two, taking the ball out of his hands, disrupting the pick and roll game between those two guys. And one of the things that stayed consistent from game one was DeAndre Ayton playing Jokic pretty well in the post and Kevin Durant being there as a rim protector when Jokic did try to score in the post. And over the course of the game, you just saw him like a boxer feeling out the opponent. And then, like you mentioned, it being a very hesitant thing with him, as always. This is not his preferred style. And as the game progressed, he's just like, all right, I'll just score 40. And he could just do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's hook shots, it's fallaways, it's offensive rebound putbacks, it's 
you know, pass fakes into shots. It's everything. He has it all in his bag. If he's within the free throw line, if he's in the paint at all, he's going to basically make, you know, 60% of those. And, you know, to hesitantly and against your better judgment, <laughs> just kill a team uh, is, is just legendary stuff. This was the most points he's ever had in a playoff win. And this was the most field goal attempts in a non-overtime playoff win in his career. So this is genuinely one of the best performances he's ever had. And he looks on his way to finally getting back to the conference finals. If, if, if the dominance continues, like he is a, I know you have to do more than this to be considered this way, but let me just say that he is taking the steps toward the incredible superstar, you know, finally getting over the hump legend run that we've all been waiting for. This very much feels Brendan in the cards of like the we can never doubt Nicole Jokic again, like kind of Giannis a couple years ago territory. And I'm sorry that is coming at the expense once again of perhaps the Phoenix Suns in some way, shape, or form. But road team's got to win a game, you know. Road- series hasn't started. We'll see. <laughs> series hasn't started. Whereas the Nuggets have looked awesome in two games, and the Suns were a little like hasn't started we- yet. It, like the Nuggets are are the team, Brennan. Where like it led by Jokic. Jokic is like the engine, but the car is like fully intact, in and like all new pieces went through the car wash. Like has a nice coat of wax on it. And the Suns are like, did we did we did we fill up the gas tank? Like you know, like you know, like did we clean yeah. the seats? Like did, did can we like vacuum and find some change under the seat to kind of get us gas at the next station? Like that, like that's like the when difference you, when you're driving and you see like, you know, the people who clearly got in an accident, but just like aren't fixing the car. They're like, nah, the door is like the back, back passenger side. It's smashed in, but you know, it's street legal. Cops aren't going to pull us over and you know, maybe money's a problem or just pride. Like I'm not, I'm not fixing that. That's kind of, that feels like the, the comparison it's like yeah there's something clearly squeaky going on here and, and we're, we're going up against like a you know an f1 beautifully polished machine and uh and it's not really working but no i think i feel like the suns can still they can win game three and the conversation will be very different but uh the path to winning the series even when even if chris paul never got hurt looks a lot clearer for the Nuggets because uh, they've already done it. Like Michael Porter Jr. hasn't even done much, you know, like mm-hmm. they're not even needing like all time performances from all their guys and they're kind of cruising. So what would it get? What, can I, let me ask you this as someone who thinks knows much more about the team than I do, who understands it in a deep, deep way. What would it, what kind of game three win would give you the most confidence looking ahead to them getting back in the rest of the series? Like what kind of performance would give you belief that they could pull this off and, and still win the series. Kevin Durant scoring 40 plus points on 55 plus percent shooting with very few turnovers. Like just supernova Kevin Durant. That that's what we've been waiting for for seven playoff games from the Suns now and it hasn't happened. So it has to again for them to to win. Um especially now that Paul's out, but even before that, he's their best creator of a shot in tight moments he is the best player overall on this team he is having to do a lot on defense which i think matters but we've seen him be a two-way beast in the playoffs before he's just got to pull that out again yeah i i think him and booker i i booker was the best player in the playoffs in round one and that has him in the case here and like i if he kind of has a game where he looks like that guy again and i don't think denver's like doing anything with him that should be really flustering him 
if I'm being entirely honest. I just think he hasn't been quite as sharp. But if he can kind of be that guy, maybe this kind of gets to a a place where things get better. I could, that that's the game, Brendan. For a lot of reasons, that's that's the game I'm second most looking forward to. I had Lakers Warriors game three or game two because the one I'm most looking forward to. But the game three of that series, you're just is a right LeBron stand. That's okay. true. That's true. That's extremely true. I um my Instagram. I'm, ex- I'll I'm go. interested to see the yeah. Tell tell people about that. <laughs> okay, well, so my Instagram algo, I'm saying algo like it's a hip thing. It's like algorithm is there's a lot of like just LeBron stuff in there. Like I get like I I've gotten a lot of like him talking crap to Dylan Brooks edits in the last week and like a lot of old highlights. Always and I'm good. just like I'm like this is good for me. So I'm just like scrolling through during this game during tonight, and I text this to you, and I got a some I don't know if this person made this or like what the deal is, but. This person, there's like a gif or some like it's John Moran saying we're good in the West, and then there's a clip of from, that someone modded LeBron and Ja into WWE 2K23, and he chucks John Moran out of the ring, and then there's another one where Dylan Brooks says I poke bears, that clip, and then LeBron is throwing Dylan Brooks off the top of like a the the steel cage for like a cage match, and then Michael Cole is like celebrating at the end of the clip. It is like. Someone put so much time into this, and I and I think this person did make it, but like I, like this this just came in my feed, and I'm like, wow, this is this is this is concerning how specific this is to like my particular. Yeah, you've like, pro- you've interests. programmed your your LeBron standum into your Instagram feed. That's, Mark Zuckerberg knows you better than you know yourself, and yeah, you know you're getting what you what you ask for subconsciously. I think that's a great way to put a bow on our son's nuggets conversation was you know wrestling mods um and we can be done talking about my sadness i have two <laughs> days still before this fucking game three it it's also the longest break of of any series the suns have had and of course it's after they lose two games yeah it's that's sadness. that's tough that's tough okay let's let's any i don't i don't have a lot of heat nick's thoughts that series is just probably gonna go seven all right we're just moving on yeah and with jimmy hurt it's like what are you really going to analyze? It's, it's like, you know, Caleb Martin going off. Like, I don't know. I, I like tell me to talk about Kevin Love. We can do it. Brennan, let's move on to, to the final fours we picked. So let's start in the West. Here's, here's how I picked uh, with, and I wrote in our notes um, as I found it in our long running outline. I say with absolutely no confidence, Warriors, Nuggets, Clippers, Grizzlies, two out of four, 50%. A real big L on the Grizzlies, real big L on the Clippers. Okay, then you went Nuggets, Warriors, Suns, Grizzlies. You're three. You're three out of four. And I even had it where like the other team in the the Lakers series is my pick. So like I was I was very uh, ahead of the curve. I knew everyone matchups. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I just picked that series wrong. That, that's exact. I'll, I'll roll with that. So what I what I feel like we take away from this, we both had faith in faith in Memphis, and clearly there's something wrong with what they were doing there. The half court offense stalled out again. Maybe all the distractions added up. I think there's probably that boatload of things beyond like Dylan Brooks being a heel or whatever, right? So I think like that that's all part of it. I think that's pretty obvious. The Clippers, it's like okay, they played the Suns and like Kawhi Leonard like towards meniscus. So like I I maybe I just shouldn't ever bank on the Clippers being healthy again. I didn't go as far as to put them in the finals as some very smart people did, but uh I don't think I'm ever going to pick them to make like anything again until like I just see them there. Like I'm just not going to believe I'll it's pick true them until to they're make there. a trade. Yeah. Spend some money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Nuggets, obvious, best team in the league for most of the year, or a lot of the year. Very good team, at the very least. Jokic, incredible. I feel like the Warriors won, like, really worked out for us just because they were not necessarily, like, they, this wasn't, like, the easiest title defense season for them. They were in the play-in for a little bit at a certain point, and, like, they were the sixth seed and, like, had to win game seven on the road to, to get to this. But, like, turns out the Warriors are really good. Turns out like you just like have Steph Curry and he can do that stuff and that that team knows how to play and win big games and that kind of matters. Yeah, what's funny about this is I picked the Suns obviously as you just said and yeah. this was before the Durant trade, so uh, I just got yeah, very that's, lucky that's, there. I was I that, was completely that, being a homer and it just worked so out. So that is good context because well, when we talk about the East, that'll kind of factor into one of your picks, which um, I wrote down in the exact quote you had, but. Did you feel? Is there any overarching lessons that we can take from these West advantees, Brendan? Is there anything that we feel like maybe we that's we should reevaluate going forward after thinking about this? I also just like probably should just pick LeBron to make these things, and just assume they're going to make a trade. Well, I probably should have just like three years. Should have just been a homer, to be honest. So I have a big picture take from the whole eight. Once we get there after the East, I would say from the West, what I was thinking about a lot was. These are four teams who did make it now that we know with obviously the Lakers, Suns, Warriors, and Nuggets who have just continued to try to improve their teams. You know, like obviously the Lakers and Suns very much tried to uh, really go big. We thought the Lakers might get Kyrie. They end up getting like four good role players. And then, you know, the Nuggets have to tinker because they will never pay the tax multiple years in a row and accrue a big bill. And then the Warriors are just going to spend whatever it takes and they've, continue to make trades. They didn't really do a lot, I guess, in season. They don't typically do that, and they were coming off a title defense, so maybe they're a little bit of an exception for this particular year. But I guess just compared to the Clippers, who are basically beholden to their star player's health, and then the Grizzlies, who I think it was a big story that they did not do anything, um, that was kind of the contrast that I that I thought of as we were looking around, is like, especially the Suns and Lakers making it. Like, they need, they knew they needed to really swing for the fences, and they did, and it worked. Maybe just also helps again. Davis healthy. Yeah, of course. And, you know, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, the Suns were healthy heading into the playoff. Yeah. It always helps. Yeah. All right, let's go to the East where there's a little more, I think, spice and, and sizzle to this. Um, so we both got the, we both had the Bucks. We, we, we both had the Celtics and the 76ers. I had the Cavs, which LOL. You had the Nets, which also LOL. Brendan, here's my. I'm gonna say two things. I'm on my end. Jake, you can you can hit me with the bell for this, producer Jake. I am not gonna be like overly optimistic about the Cavs until they like show me something next year. The, this playoffs thing like has means it's time to put up or shut up when it matters. Like I'm just there with them now. Like that that is that is what has happened. Donovan Mitchell needs you to play well in the playoffs again. We'll have yeah. a Donovan Mitchell conversation, a, a version of what we already had via text the other day uh, at some point during the offseason once we know what Cleveland tries to do here. But um, I think you're right. I think that that player in that team, you know, it, it's it's a prove it situation. I think that the young players, there's no reason to think they can't prove it, but they got right. kind of punched in the face in their first go round. So TBD, how that how that kind of treats them in the future. Um, I have a question. So obviously, yes, I, I picked the Brooklyn Nets. Well, can um, I read know, the can I read your quote? Yes. 
your your exact quote. I went and try, I couldn't find like your four in like the document, so I went and found him in the episode, and it said your exact quote is "I buy that team completely." Now this is the team that had Kyrie Irving, who was like yeah. a bajillion things that Kyrie has done that would give you some ideas that maybe he's not you know buy worth buying completely. The Durant asked for a trade in the summer. The the track record of the recent Brooklyn Nets. Like, you know, you they were right. Fired in their like, coach in season this year. That yeah, happened yeah. as well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, ben, ben Simmons was on that team, Brendan. Still is. Still, yep. Look, I, Ben Simmons, I hope allegedly. you live it. Allegedly. You're, I, he, for all we know, he's like, I, I don't know what he's doing. Um, Just you buy that team completely in retrospect is it may, like I you've gotten more right than I think I have during the course of this, I, but I, I give myself like plus a hundred because like I didn't say I buy the Brooklyn Nets completely. Is that fair? Um, okay. It's fair. I mean, I, maybe I was just doing some like reverse voodoo jinxing to try to get <laughs> Kevin Durant onto my team. I, I yeah, not... but they, but, but it caught, but it cost you your number one son. So yeah, but Mikhail now Bridges. I get to be a complete fanboy of Mikhail Bridges. So really win, win, win. <laughs> uh, I was an emotional wreck for like a week after that, but you know, I, I recovered. Um, Let's see. So what I was going to ask you about the Nets is now that we've seen how the East playoffs have played out through one and a half rounds, that team, the way that they were playing, we know Ben Simmons was a, a, a negative, a zero, whatever. But that aside, because he wasn't really impacting the team even when I said that, still sort of feel like they would be my pick in the East or at least up there. Uh, if they had kept that group together and, you know, been healthy and all that stuff, like obviously that's a lot of ifs, but everyone else is sort of dealing with all that same stuff. Like I, I think I would still have them. I mean, they were just capable of so much offensive firepower and as much as Sean Marks has, you know, shit on his face from how everything went there. I don't know how much blame he really deserves. Well, whatever conversation for a different day. He really knew how to build the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving roster pretty well, even after the James Harden trade and he had to kind of reset things. So that group just made sense to me. And I thought Durant and Kyrie were on a really high level. I think they still would be, they would be in this round if those guys had been healthy. And if they were playing, let's say they were the four seed, they were playing, um, I guess what it would be the, the heat. I mean, I don't know, but like they, I think that they would be a conference finals team. Yeah, assuming like, you know, Kyrie could be normal or like didn't get hurt or like Durant doesn't get hurt again or something like there's just a lot I deserve of to be mocked for assuming all those things were going to happen. But that team, you can't argue they were like, what was it like 26 and two at, at one point in a, yeah, in a stretch? And, like, yeah, and, and then obscene team. Yeah, but it's like but it's like the car that had like a nice paint job. And then it's like you look under the hood and it's like, oh, so like I can't steam. drive this. Yeah. 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 Look, smoke. Uh, I mean, why did I say just, steam? Smoke. There's not water boiling under there. It's, it's we're, we're we're just really big car guys over here that just basketball show. Um, that that team. The thing about these teams in the East, even teams like Milwaukee, that obviously like I I thought was going to win a title, and a lot of people did. And and the Celtics are good, and the 76ers are good. And none of them. We or in, in this point where none of these teams feel overwhelmingly dominant. Like all of yeah. these teams have these weird flaws, have weird kinks, have stretches where none of them look particularly good. Brooklyn was like the biggest example of that at their peak. But like Philly, we've seen that with Philly. We've seen that with Boston. We've obviously just saw that with the Bucks, with or without Giannis. 
Like mm-hmm. all of these teams have vulnerabilities and that could have made for some really chaotic stuff if we would have gotten those four teams in some jumble of a top four in the East and, and they all ended up there. That would have, that would have been like, honestly, like as a basketball fan, we got a little cheated. I think by not getting that like four man, like tournament at some point like that, it feels like a missed yeah. opportunity. Yeah. But then on the West side, which I think is pretty exciting right now, you would have had a, a way weakened Suns team. And I think whatever the fourth would have been in the West would have been like a very clear outlier, you know? Um, so Durant moving, Change both conferences, obviously, pretty dramatically. But my big picture takeaway on this, and I, we, we got to get to AC here in a second, but uh, I tried to come up with what every team has in common mm-hmm. of these eight big picture. Um, I came up with ball movement and physicality because I feel like the threes are baked in these days. And like the unless whole NBA has... I'm, unless you're like the Suns, who just like have a don't take like their threes or like come from a different way. Like the Suns are kind of the anomaly to that. I would say that's fair. But even, you know, outside of game one, which was very weird, even like getting up 23s is more than we would have said a long time ago. Right. So like that offensive philosophy tends to extend across everybody, but you're right. It's not, I guess Phoenix is an outlier there wings. Like the whole league kind of knows, like you got to have wing depth and versatility there. Try to, you don't you're going to be screwed hello cleveland um so it's like well now that we're kind of all on that even playing field like i feel like ball movement and physicality to me are kind of what come to mind and i feel like you can make the case the Cavs lacked both you can make the case the bucks lacked both by the time all their players were hurt and the way that they're kind of end of the bench rounded out um i felt like boss milwaukee was one of the most physical teams and then it felt like they were getting roughed around by miami maybe that's just a bad matchup but um, but you could say that about both of those teams. I feel like the Grizzlies, they didn't really have the the sharing of the offense and enough offensive kind of dynamic stuff to to get the job done. Um, I would say the Kings, who also lost here, probably the are the Kings the best non Final Four team outside of Milwaukee. I mean, just I think based on the fact that they like took the Warriors to seven and that series was unbelievably yeah. close. I would say yes, like like the cat like none of these other teams deserve like that kind of respect so like they obviously had the ball movement so they don't really fit here in terms of the teams that why they lost type of way to explain it the inverse of why the teams that didn't get in didn't get in right but they definitely kind of got out physical by the warriors by the end you know they just didn't Mm -hmm. have the defensive intensity to kind of match what golden state was doing so I don't know. Does that sound reasonable? It's kind of a, a very basic description, but ball movement and physicality. It feels like you have to have an offense with a lot of threats and you have to have a defense that makes you feel, makes the opponent feel you. Yeah, I, I am very curious to see like if any of these, if what, if there are things, I think one of the easiest, the repable things, Brendan, is like, I think if you look at what some of these teams did, it's like they went out and got guys that could shoot and they went out and got guys that like know kind of how to play. Like the, the Nuggets getting KCP was just like a, a no brainer kind of thing. The Grizzlies are probably going to go look to get that kind of piece maybe at a higher level, I think, but go get that kind of player in that regard. The Warriors like have kind of found a lot of those kind of guys, like in, even even in their own way, like Philly has found weird fitting versions of that they've they're kind of fitting like ovals into circular circular holes but like 
yeah. with Tobias Harris and like PJ Tucker, but they found their version of that. And every other team that like doesn't have them is kind of kind of got screwed here. Like bought like New York doesn't quite have that, you know, and like Miami like has like a bunch of like very flawed ones, but like they have ways to figure some of that stuff out. Um, but I, I think New York does. I just think all of the guys who are like that are just young role players, you know, but and they're or they're gu- like, I think of them as like guards. Like, I think there's like a kind of guard. You and I, this is like an episode I want to have top in the two, though. Yeah, but like I, I thought they really benefited from Randall being back in game two. And they in, did. But I just think like Toppin kind of knows what he's doing and he can shoot open corner threes. Like, I think he fits what you're talking about, at least a little for sure. Do you think the Cavs should have taken Toppin instead of Okoro? I don't think it would have mattered, especially once you got yeah. Evan Mobley. You're not going to play top in at the three, so. No. Okay. Well, on that note, let's end there. Another next ding, up. another buzzer there for from Jake. Hit, hit me over the head with it, Jake. All right, coming up next, Alex Caruso, Chicago Bulls guard, talks to our Brendan Clean. You guys are going to love it. Enjoy. All right, here on the Just Basketball Show with Alex Caruso. He is here for Travis Matthew, a new uh, partner of the brand. We'll talk about that in one second. Um, Alex, I, I, I hate to bring up something negative off the top. I hope it's not negative, but the NBA world, I, I see you tweeting. I know you're watching. The NBA world yeah. can't get enough of Jimmy Butler. Um, you kind of got the beginning of the uh, inferno that, that he's been, just like on yeah. fire of on fire. And you you obviously saw him in the 2020 finals. My question for you, you guys actually, it seemed like kind of held him in, in relative check. He didn't even shoot 50% in that playing game. Obviously the loss I'm sure doesn't make that any better, but what do most of us watching him at home not notice about maybe just what makes him so honestly looks impossible to, to guard? Yeah. I mean, he, he's, I mean, for starters, he's got that, you know, that competitive drive, that competitive instinct to just, do whatever it takes to win. So that, that kind of, that kind of drives everything and motivates everything. And then once he gets to the playoffs, I've talked about this before with people, like he becomes an elite shot maker uh, in the postseason. you know, like he, he's, you can't really look at his numbers coming into a series or into a game like us playing game. You know, you kind of have to just expect him to shoot well. Cause I mean, as you see, he's, he's making threes, uh, he's in fadeaway mid range, you know, he's getting to his spots. And get get into the rim like he, he really can can do just about everything on the basketball court and then you know he's a freak athlete and he's really smart so kind of staying on on the defensive end i i don't know if the average nba fan realizes that you guys in chicago finished as a top 10 defense this season mm-hmm. um just you know young role players some guys that maybe aren't always known for defense that's a huge accomplishment. What do you think made things click on that end for you guys this year? Yeah, I think we really just bought in um, to kind of helping each other. You know, we, we obviously had great individual defenders in, in certain points. Me, um, obviously, Pat Bev joined us halfway through the year. Um, Drum was pretty big for us in the paint this year. And then, you know, like you said, some, some young players, Iota Sumo. Um, I thought Pat Williams and Kobe White really took a step defensively, just understanding how to play and how to use their bodies. Uh, and we, we all just kind of bought in and kind of played for each other in that end. Um, and that's not to say we didn't, you know, have, have nights where we didn't do our jobs or guys didn't get, you know, 30, 40, 50, but that's the NBA and guys are going to do that regardless if you're top defense or not. But yeah, I think it was just, a, it was a really good job of us just, you know, maintaining the focus for it all year and 
you know, that's something that can be constant every night whether shots go in or not. All right. I have a couple of follow-ups on the, on that, but tell me about what you have going on with Travis Matthew and honestly give, give our audience like one item in the catalog that gets your kind of highest recommendation. What's the thing people should be clicking on immediately and trying out if they haven't. Gotcha. Well, yeah. So, so Travis Matthew, I think I've, I've been with him since 2021, um, just a little over two years and they, they've been great, great partners to work with. Um, the people are great. You know, anytime I have to do a, a social content post or a, a content capture, it's usually the same group of people. And they're just regular people, just like me, just really, really easy going. Um, and, and the products, I mean, they kind of speak for themselves. Like it was involuntary. I was thinking about walking up to my iPad to get this. And I got, I got Travis Matthew hat and shirt <laughs> on. And it's just, it's just become, you know, part of my closet and part of my, uh, my wardrobe on a daily basis. Um, one piece is tough. I think, I think the newest thing for me, they have this uh, series called the cloud series that they came out with, I think in the last year. And it's just super soft. They have sweats, they got sweatshirts. And then my favorite are the shorts. So they're just super, super, super soft cotton shorts that I can wear, you know, to bed, to the store, um, hanging out at home. Like they, they, that, the, the cloud series has really done it for me, but then the shorts is something I've recently come across. All right. Love it. I'm in Arizona. So, uh, shorts is shorts is a year long thing. There's not really yeah, a, a non shorts here, time. So it's needed. You got it. Uh, all right. So I want to talk about Pat Bev. I'm sure it's uh, it's one thing to play against him. One thing to, to, to see him in games. We had a, a big laugh on the show this year, just with the camera, with the LeBron foul in that yeah. one game. And, yeah. Showing the ref evidence, uh, I guess you could say, but what's it like being that dude's teammate getting to, you know, team up to try to take down a backcourt with that guy kind of in your corner and, and just in your locker room day to day. Yeah, I was, uh, I was anxious the first when I said we got him just because, you know, I only, you know, had everybody else's point of view from outside looking in, you know, obviously you see there's a little, there's a little bit of antics and, and he's an emotional player at times, but, you know, I have some of that, some of that emotion that runs through me too. And, and I quickly found out, you know, he's consummate professional, um, does anything to win. You know, he's a really, really good teammate, takes care of his teammates, make sure that he's looking out for the other guys. Um, it was a nice, it, it was a, it was a pleasant surprise just, just to have him around. And then obviously the basketball part of it, um, me and him, you know, saw the game defensively and, and even offensively just being able to take advantage of certain stuff and make the game easier for DeMar, Zach, Vooch, um, and then just be pests on defense and kind of cover for each other when we go rogue, you know, try to get some steals or some deflections. Did he have any good Chicago spots? I mean, he, that, that's the other part of it, right? I'm sure he had some things to tell you guys about or show you around. Hey, try this, try that. He's a, he's a local. Yeah. Well, you'd be surprised. Vooch is actually the foodie on the team. So he probably had more, more food recommendations than, than Pat, but I know Pat just loved being at home. And that's kind of what, you know, double down, he's already a high energy, you know, very active guy. And then, you know, getting to play in front of home, home crowd, I'm sure in front of friends and family, just about every night. Uh, it really, it was a really big boost for him. All right. The other thing I wanted to pick up on from what you said about the the team and the defense this year was, um, it's almost like I feel like watching the league this year. I don't want to say it, it's not a, a negative or like a, a frustration to let somebody go off for 30, 40 points, but it felt like it happened every day. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was looking through the, the DPOY votes and you got a few. I feel like this was a really strong season from you there. But at the same time, like you said, there's still nights where you went home and you're like, how did that guy shoot 60% and, and score yeah, 45 points? Um, thinking about it. What's that like? I mean, what's what do you feel like? Uh, what does that feel like to, to watch and, and be part of the league with such a big offensive explosion? And what do you? What do you think explains it? Have, have you thought about that at all? Of why this is happening? Because it feels insane to just turn on League Pass every night and watch what's going on. Yeah, I mean, the, the league is just it's more skilled than it's ever been. Um, I don't know the number, but I know there was a record number of players that averaged 30, 30 plus points per game this year. Um, you know, I saw something on JJ Reddick's podcast, Old Man of Three, about um, like comparing I can't remember what, what era it was. I think it was the Suns back when they had Steve Nash and they were like viewed as like, you know, pick and roll, spread it out, running gun. And like, they would have been like the 28th best offense or offensive rating this year. And it's just, it's just the evolution of the game, man. You know, everyone's skilled. Everyone's trying to play more space, shoot more threes. Um, you know, a little bit of analytics come in. People are trying to do the whole free throw layups, threes. Um, and I mean, the, the, the league is, is, not dumb. You know, they're smart. They, they know that offense sells and they know that that's something that people want to show up and watch. They want to, they want to see 120 to 125. They don't want to see 90 to 95, um, <laughs> just for consumer consumer, uh, basis. But yeah, for me, man, it's just like, I got to go out there and try and do my job every night at a high level. And if I do it, then I'll probably have, you know, the best player on the other teams. It's usually home garden. They'll probably go there like for their average, maybe a point or two below their average. And if you don't do your job, then that's when you get the, you know, that's when you get the outliers. That's when you get like the forties and the fifties, but yeah, it's not a one man job anymore in the league. Usually, you know, looking back, I remember just watching old players, you know, like Tony Allen, Ron Artest, like guys, you could just be super physical and just kind of almost just hand check and then use length and activity. And and the way the game's called now, those guys would have to change their game just because, you know, being able to use your hands or like an arm bars is kind of outlawed. So uh, without asking about the, the officiating or how things have changed with the entertainment product, because I don't want to go down that, that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was I appreciate the, uh, I appreciated the, the podcast plug there too. I, it's, a, it's, a great, uh, it's a great company man a little bit there. But Mikael Bridges, I have his jersey behind me. I'm finally able to be a complete fanboy because he's not in Phoenix and I don't have to pretend like I, I didn't love covering that dude anymore. So mm-hmm. he told me, because I've covered him for most of his career before the trade, that the big thing he learned coming up through the league, and you've been in the league a while now too, is like, it's one thing to have the talent to be naturally gifted on defense to commit to that end, but it's another thing to guard over seasons and seasons, the same couple dudes over and over. You get, you know, their tendencies, you know what the game plan is, you know what your coaching staff wants you to do against them on and on. Uh, but uh, if it's that, then, then speak on that. But what do you feel like has been where you've grown the most on defense? Cause it's not just static, right? Like you're great at defense. You're going to, you want to keep getting better at it. What's been the big, the biggest thing for you on that end of the floor? Yeah. You have to keep getting better. You know, you think about guys go home for the summer and they always talk about adding stuff to their game. It's like, if you don't go home and, you know, kind of advance, I mean, there's not much you can do defensively at that, you know, at a certain point, maybe you can work on strength or, or quickness, but you know, at the end of the day, it's about the knowledge of the game, you know, understanding, like you said, player tendencies, um, sets teams run, um, just being able to, being able to compete at a high level and not have, you know, um, I guess what's that, that 
Ted Lasso is like, be like a goldfish. Like you got to be able to forget and just go again and go again and go again, because these guys, you, like I said, you play the best defense of your life and they're going to get their average and make some tough shots and you got to be okay with it. And some of that, you know, if you let them making a couple of tough shots or a couple of bad calls go their way, if you let that affect you now, all of a sudden, you know, you're opening up that threshold for them to go and get those big numbers. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think for me, it's just about, it's about being smart. You know, you got to understand what guys, what guys like to do the little tricks and, and, and stuff like that. Like you got to know Trey Young, Dame, they like the little stop and shot coming off the three, you know, Chris Paul, when he's in the bonus, he's going to do the rip through. Uh, Luke is a big pump fake guy. Just knowing guys' tendencies to be able to try and, you know, make it be as disciplined and make it as tough for them as possible. Cause you said multiple times already, like they, they're going to get theirs eventually. All right. Last question for you. What's an ideal off season day look like for you? How are you going to be spending the summer getting away from things or in the gym? What's, what's your, what's your summer like? Ideal off season day. Let's say it's like middle of the off season. I'll, I'll wake up. I got a weight room at the house. So I'll, I'll probably lift here sometime early morning, get to a gym, work out for you know an hour, hour and a half, and then, come back around noon, have some lunch and go play golf. And some Travis Matthew stuff, right? Yeah. Travis Matthew hat, polo shorts, <laughs> hitting them straight. All right. I love it. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me on.